There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. Now, as well as being an English teacher and a podcaster, you might know that I'm also a stand-up comedian. Ha 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 ha, laughter and stuff like that, you know, making people laugh. That's why my podcast is so funny. Um, but no, I am a stand-up comedian. Most of you know that. But um, why am I saying this? Well, I've just uploaded a video of me doing stand-up comedy. It's a 28-minute video. It's a full performance uh, of me doing stand-up comedy on stage in front of a live audience in London before COVID arrived, when all these things, when when comedy shows were still possible. So it's a video. It's about 28 minutes long. It's me on stage in front of an audience of people at the comedy store in London doing my stand-up comedy thing. And if you'd like to see it, you can if you're a premium subscriber. That's right. I've uploaded it into the premium subscription. It's a special sort of bonus extra gift for the premium subscribers. You're welcome. There you go. All right. Uh, So check your Luke's English podcast app check the website and you'll be able to watch it. You just need to obviously make sure you're signed in to the Luke's English podcast app, uh, that you're you're signed in to the website. Send me an email if you don't understand how it works. Otherwise, if you would like to sign up to Luke's English Podcast Premium to be able to see the full video and also get access to all of the other episodes, and there's over over a hundred episodes in there now. If you'd like to get all that stuff or you just want more information, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, listeners. How are you doing? I hope you're doing okay. In this episode, I'm talking again to Cara Leopold from leolistening.com. Cara has been on the podcast several times before, as you may remember, often speaking to me from inside one of her cupboards, where she goes in an attempt to improve the sound quality at her end of the recording. And if you are worried about Cara squeezing into such a tight space for these podcasts, she has assured me that her cupboard is reasonably comfortable, fairly spacious and sufficiently ventilated, which is reassuring. Okay, so let me just explain to you sort of the reasons why we had this conversation and what we aimed to achieve in this episode. Okay, so Cara and I are both English teachers from the UK living in France. I'm originally from England. Cara is originally from Scotland. I live in central Paris, which is obviously a very urban place. It's the capital city of France. Cara lives in a city which is outside of France. It's a place called Besançon, which is in the east of France. Now, you'll see that the title of the episode is Urban Life Versus Rural Life. 
Okay, I represent the urban side of things. Obviously, living in central Paris, it's an extremely urban place. Cara, although she lives in a city, that city is much more rural compared to Paris. Um, it is a city, but there are more green spaces, and it's much closer to proper countryside areas. So she's kind of representing the, the rural side of things. So on one hand, the aim was to just talk about differences between urban life and rural life or more rural life. That's kind of one of the aims is just to practice describing those things. And, you know, one reason for that is that in Cambridge exams like um, IELTS or FCE or CAE, these are things that always come up. You're often asked to talk about comparisons between urban and rural life or descriptions of towns and cities and countryside places and, and, and things like that. And so that's one of the things. It's just useful from a language learning point of view um, to know how to talk about those things. But also we had another sort of aim and that was to clarify or at least talk about differences between the culture of life in Paris and the culture of life in other parts of France. And this relates to recent episodes I've done. I mean, I've often talked about uh, life in France because obviously I live here. But recently I had an episode, um, a couple of episodes actually, one with Marie Connolly and one with Elspeth Gratty. And um, we talked about our lives in France and stuff. And there are a couple of moments where we started expressing some levels of frustration about certain attitudes. And there may have been moments when we said, you know, the French people are like this or France is like this. I mean, you, you may have heard me kind of complain about queuing in the supermarket or expressing frustrations about um, the way people behave on the on the metro on public transport and stuff like that you may have heard those sorts of um, bits of sort of minor low-level frustration or complaining and so Cara and I wanted to kind of talk about this and talk about the fact that Often when foreigners come to France, they will go to Paris and they'll experience the Parisian way of life. And then they will make comments about what France is like. But it's not really France, it's just Paris. And I've had a couple of comments from French uh, Lepsters who have kind of uh, pointed that out saying, you know, actually, I just feel like I need to say that this is, you know, you, this is Paris. Don't say that the whole country is the same as Paris. Paris is different. People are different there. Um, and so that needs to be stated. So that's one of the things we're talking about. We kind of want to explore what the differences are between life in Paris and life in more provincial areas. That's like areas outside the capital city. So, for example, if we take my queuing issue that I have, that uh, I, I'm always get frust- I always get frustrated because I feel like people don't queue up properly in the in the line you know at the supermarket and stuff and it kind of makes me a bit sort of um annoyed so that's one of the things like is that a parisian thing or is that something that happens in in the rest of the country so we're kind of comparing our personal experiences of culture shock in france but also trying to get to the bottom of this whole question of which things are exclusively parisian behavior and which things are true of the whole country i'm not entirely sure that we fully answer that question that we fully solve that problem so again french listeners i do invite you to get into the comment section and um you know explain specific differences between the way people live in paris and the way people live in other parts of the country 
So I just wanted to say those things in order to kind of clarify our purposes for having this conversation. Um, broadly, you could relate this to the topic of culture shock or cultural differences. When we do come into contact with people from other cultures, um, it can be we can have a range of experiences. It can be really fun and exciting to compare the way we do things with the way other people do things and to experience a different way of life. But also when you, for example, live in another country permanently – it can, after a while, get a little bit exhausting when you just feel different to everyone else and you don't know if you're doing things wrong, they're doing things wrong, if if if, if you're even wrong to be um, experiencing levels of frustration, you can feel guilty and it's a very complicated experience. So broadly, those are the things we are talking about in this, uh, in this conversation. Okay, but... Um, just a couple of things for you to think about here. Uh, where do you live? Do you live in a town? Do you live in the city? Do you live in the countryside? In your country, is there a difference be- between the way people act and behave in the capital city of your country compared to other parts of the country? Are those things distinctly different? And do you get a little bit annoyed sometimes when, like, let's say, foreigners assume that uh, the way of life in the capital city is the same as it is everywhere else. Okay. And also, have you had experiences of living in other cultures or experiences of um, coming face to face with other cultures and other ways of doing things? And how were those experiences for you? Uh, What were the positive things? But also, were there any things that you didn't understand? And how did that make you feel? All stuff that we are attempting to cover in this conversation. Um, There may be moments when it seems that Cara and I get a little bit sidetracked by expressing our frustrations about certain things. And I will refer you again to the, uh, the topic of queuing up, which seems to be a particular bugbear of mine. Um, So I don't want you to think that we're just complaining about life in France. That's not the idea. Uh, We're just trying to work out what's Parisian and what's not. Um, I should also say that Cara and I both love living in France. We both love our lives here and we both love um, the country and and we've we've both chosen to live here and uh, we're very happy living here and living with our French partners and so on. So I just wanted to, you know, make that clear from the very beginning. Okay. But anyway, let's now listen to the conversation with Cara. All right, then. So here's my conversation with Cara Leopold from leolistening.com. And here we go. So, hello, Cara. How are you today? Hi, Luke. I'm fine. Good. Are you in your cupboard? <laughs> yeah, I'm in a cupboard. Oh, yeah, I was going to say that, then I was like, no, let's keep it secret. But yeah, I'm in a cupboard. <laughs> Sitting in a cupboard in, in an attempt to improve the, the audio quality. Yeah, anything for your listeners. <laughs> um, so how are you over there in the east of France? <laughs> in the east of France. Yeah, um, we're good. Uh, lockdown round two, but everybody's outside, so it's not really, <laughs> it's not really um, uh, quite the same vibe as in as in March. But pe- people seem okay. Yeah. So the government has introduced new measures. They came in um, sort of just early. When was it? It was the week. Five minutes before they were supposed to come in, they told us, sort of thing. Um, was it last Wednesday? There was an announcement. Um, 
And before they used to like give announcements on a Wednesday or Thursday for the following Monday, but this time they were like, yeah, this is for Friday. Um, yeah. And bear in mind, they told everybody to go on holiday as usual for the October holidays. Yeah, that's right. So, so here in 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 my in uh, in my family here, we um we had planned to go away on holiday for that weekend because it was the last weekend of the school holidays. Mm. So we were going to go on Friday morning with a couple of friends of ours, my wife, me, and, my, and our daughter. We were going to go rent a car, go up to the north coast, um, and uh, spend like a nice long weekend there. And then uh, Macron was like, "No, uh, lockdown." And we kind of considered whether we could find a loophole in the <laughs> in the laws because the, the the lockdown restrictions are a little bit more complex this time. Mm. It's kind of like you can't you can do you can go out if X Y and Z you know, but compared to last time where it was like no stay at home. This time it seems to be a bit, bit more complicated. So we're wondering if we could find a way to swing it but um in the end we decided no and now we're currently trying to get our money back from airbnb we're trying to get the money back from the oh, car no. car rental company i mean it's not that bad it's not that bad at all um i i just i feel bad for the people who own little restaurants and shops and things it must be really tough for them yeah um, that 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 sucks uh yeah it was my it was my partner's birthday on friday so that was like the first <laughs> the first day of the new lockdown um but you know, he was forty-two, so it's not like it's a special birthday. Forty-two um, is good. It's the that's the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. But I mean, it's not like like if it had been his fortieth birthday. Actually, one of my students told me that it's her partner's fortieth birthday on the first day of the UK lockdown, which is coming on Thursday. So that like sucks a bit more, maybe. Yeah, like, um, happy birthday. Stay inside. Yeah, you can't go anywhere or do anything. Yeah. Mm. So we filled out our certificates and went for a walk. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that, that's one of the main difficulties. I mean, you know, for lucky people like us who who um, are still able to, you know, do what we do uh, mm. despite the the lockdown restrictions. One of the sort of annoyances is that basically France has just sort of added more paperwork into your life again. <laughs> as if there wasn't enough paperwork to do and the admin to do. Every time you step outside, you have to complete an attestation, a sort of uh, release form. A, 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 what is it? Like a certificate, a form, a form. Yeah, it's a form. A um, form. You have to fill in a form. Yeah, to go out. You pick your reason for going out. Um, That's right. Sometimes it feels like the. I'm not sure what the reason is. Like I'm going out to go and pick up some some vegetables from the supermarket, and I'm going to go and pick up my daughter on the way back, and we'll probably visit mm. the park so that she can run around a little bit. So which ones do I tick? Do I That's tick like buying three? Yeah, buying essential food. Although it says in the in in the form it says buying essential uh, provisions for your business. I'm like, yeah, it's confusing. It is confusing. Anyway. Um, it's it's not too bad for us, thankfully. But here we are talking again on my podcast. It's it's nice to know that you're basically all right, even though you are stuck in a cupboard for this one. Thank you. I'm sure my, I'm sure my listeners will appreciate it. Uh, do make sure that you're getting enough oxygen, though. Well, the, the door the door is open this time, so it's a, it's an upgrade <laughs> in a way. Uh, yes. So, uh, well, 
let's see. This time we're talking, we do have a theme um, again this mm. time, and we're going to try to talk about, um, well, I'm just going to ask you, so what were you thinking then when sort of, um, as we arranged this, uh, this podcast conversation? Yeah, we were talking about um, the fact that like, there have been some famous books, like there's plenty of famous people and famous books like Paul, who you have on your podcast, and a guy like Stephen Clark, who writes books about like, how the French people are annoying or whatever. And um, but they tend to skew very um, Parisian, right? It's normal, like people who are sort of journalists and authors, they're often based in Paris. And then they see French life through the Parisian lens. But obviously, like, you know, not everything that happens in Paris happens the same way, you know, outside of Paris, if you like. Um, yes. So we wanted to get onto kind of that. And it seems quite fitting because, you know, you live in Paris, but I live in what they call provincial France. This is good. Okay. So because this relates to some things I said in a recent episode with a friend of mine called Elspeth. And Elspeth is uh, from the UK too. And she lives in France. And we ended up, she lives in Paris to be specific. We ended up, um, well, just outside Paris to be even more specific. But still, (laughs) we ended up talking about cultural differences and some things that we find frustrating, which always seems to be the thing that, um, you know, non-French people or even non-Parisian people experience when they come to Paris. And as you said, there are books written on the subject, very successful books, like, for example, A Year in the Maud by Stephen Clark, and also Paul Taylor, his series of mini episodes that was on TV here in France, uh, which was, uh, the you know, it was kind of the British person's experience of living in France. It was called What the Fuck France. But arguably, many of those things were sort of Parisian experiences. Mm. Um, and so, yes, Elspeth and I were kind of talking about this stuff and talking about our experiences of um, even things like walking down the street or queuing queuing at the supermarket and the difficulties we experience and a lot of the time we were saying this is what it's like in France and French people do this French people this French people that and mm. um, I did get uh, one or maybe two uh, comments from French listeners and I want to say a big hello to any French Lepsters uh, listening um, I often say that France is like you know low down on the list and it's the 15th country on the list but uh, mm. I do want to make a special give a special shout out to any French uh, Lepsters. Bonjour, ça va? Coucou. Um, <laughs> coucou, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, I just wanted to say, yes, let's make let's make this distinction then between um, what life is like in Paris and what life is like in the rest of the country. You're out in what they call the provinces um, mm-hmm. in the east of France, near the border with uh, Switzerland there. W- what do you guys think? What do French people in that part of the country think of Paris, Parisians and the way of life in Paris? Hmm. Good question. Well, I, I guess, um, yeah, that's an interesting question. Cause I mean here, like even here, there's even a division between like, I mean, I'm in the biggest city in the region. I mean, it's not even particularly big. There's like, um, 120,000, 115,000 people. So that's not especially big, like, some of your listeners might live in much, much, much bigger cities. And for them, like that size of city is sort of minuscule. Um, But 
Yeah, and even here, like we've got so there's like down here where you've got the city and there's lots of students and things like this, and then you've got the part of the region that's near the Swiss border, and that it's really rural up there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think even there's a difference in mentality between like people there and people here, which um, sort of adding an extra an extra layer to this sort of dilemma. But yeah, I mean, I guess maybe. Um, I don't know. I can't say I've ever had the sort of conversation directly with people like, what do you think of Parisians specifically? I guess it comes up like because like people have quite strong opinions often, like other French people will have opinions about people from other regions, like all oh, people from the south are like this. And then I'm sure there's like stereotypes of people from the east of France, which is where we are, because it's, you know, people might perceive us as being a bit more like Germanic or something like that in a way of thinking. But I guess, yeah, for Paris, people must perceive them as sort of, you know, like big city people maybe snobby people or, you know, pretentious in some way. Yeah, I think that's probably it, that there's the sense that I get the really strong impression that even people who live in the suburbs of Paris, it's a, it's a different experience for them, that once you cross, mm. over, the, once you cross over the threshold of the, the boulevard périphérique, which is the kind of main highway that runs around uh, Paris mm. that seems to be the 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 border really between Paris and not Paris once you cross over that threshold and you're in proper Paris it's a totally different sort of it's, vibe it's a different vibe because you imagine people like who they just go around everywhere on a scooter like I'm not saying there's not scooters in provincial France there obviously mm. are but like you imagine like people going around on scooters and spending all their time like I don't know like left bank in- intellectuals like having coffees and talking about philosophy or I don't know like well maybe that's like the sort of 1960s kind of idealized version of Paris or something but yeah you imagine that kind of thing actually one thing I remember sort of friend here bringing up is like given the prices of apartments in Paris he was saying if somebody living in a small apartment in Paris were to sell up and move somewhere provincial like where I live they would live like a king. Like if you sold your flat, you could buy like a huge house with a swimming pool and a massive garden and all this. I I know people, I think people have a hard time sometimes understanding that. Like why would you live in a pokey flat in Paris when you'd have like a massive house in the provinces? Yeah. I mean, it is a a thing that many Parisians often struggle with, like that decision. Mm. And often the decision will be career-based yeah, or, sure. or possibly school-based. So um, one of the reasons why you would choose to stay in Paris, even though you live in a very small flat, and we, my wife and I are you know, hoping to buy a place soon, and we, mm. we're looking, and the places that are in our price range are like, you know, definitely smaller than the place that we're renting at the moment. Mm. Um, and it's not, a, it's not a great prospect of, you know, squeezing our entire lives into something that's, you know, t- two thirds the size, 60% the size of what we're in now. Uh, but that is life in, in Paris. And so either it's because of proximity, you would choose to live in a crappy little small flat, well, not crappy, but small. You choose yeah. to live in a small uh, flat in Paris because it's close to where the work is. Yeah. Uh, and if you work in a certain, you know, um, um, occupation, um, being in Paris is really important because that's where you actually get all the work. And secondly, schools, like there are lots of schools and universities in Paris. And if you want your children to go to those schools, then you're going to need to live quite close to them. Um, that, I think those are the main reasons. But also there are there are other attractive things that keep people in Paris. 
Um, oh, just, oh, yeah. oh, yeah, for, for, for sure. Like, um, I was just thinking as well, like, it's pretty common to meet people here, here who are like, you know, I'm paying <laughs> however many hundreds of euros a month for a studio apartment for my kids so they can, like, go to university in Paris because the school they want to go to, like, or the option that they chose, like, it's only in Paris. Like, we don't have a choice. Um, yeah. And pe- people will put down a lot of money. I remember, like, one of my friends, um, after I did my master's degree, like, he moved to Paris again for work. And he was, like, sleeping on the floor of his cousin's apartment, like, initially, you know, yeah. just to um, think maybe when he was doing his internship or something, just because, like, you've not got enough money to, uh, you know, to uh, to have your own your own place. So, there, there yeah, there's some pretty difficult... Um, complicated living arrangements and i and i've heard as well that a lot of people they don't want to rent apartments in paris because um so it seems that it's hard to rent if you're a renter and it's hard to rent out if you're a letter because people like i don't know will maybe fake their salary and pretend they earn more than they do in order to get an apartment or you know it just seems like a really complicated system so there, there, there are probably like empty apartments because people don't even want to like, you know, or they'd rather Airbnb them or something. Yes, it can be very complicated because of the law. So mm-hmm. um, so you've got landlords. This is a bit of vocab for the listeners, just in case mm-hmm. they don't know. Uh, uh, landlord. The land landlord is the word for the person who owns the property. And a tenant is the person who lives there and pays rent to the landlord right so hmm. uh, the law here in in paris i don't know if this is for the whole country but certainly in paris um is that the the law does support the rights of the tenant a lot mm. more yeah. and so it can if you're a landlord you've got to be very careful about the people that you um sign a contract with uh, you've mm. got to be very careful about the tenants that you choose because you don't want to be in a situation where your tenant can't pay you your uh, the monthly rent, but the tenant has the right to continue living in the property. Because mm. obviously for a landlord, that's kind of a nightmare. You're not getting any money and you've got someone living in the in the property and you know you you don't have the right to to to, to expel them i mean mm. you know on one hand this is good because it means that people don't get turfed out into the street yeah, they're not homeless yeah they're not homeless which is obviously uh, very good um, but it can be difficult for for landlords and as a result it it means that uh, there's a very strict selection process for tenants it can be very difficult to to get a decent apartment because if you don't have the right profile Mm. Um, as a tenant, then you know landlords won't want to to let their apartment to you. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, life is seems to be so complicated here. Sometimes there's so many kind of complications. I'm sure it's complicated everywhere, but it. I don't know. It seems so obvious it, here. It seems it seems extra complicated in Paris. Like I don't think I had to go. Oh, I haven't rented an apartment for a while. I mean, obviously you do have to provide various things, and there are various checks and stuff. But I mean. I don't think it's as hardcore here. One of the reasons is just the the demand, you know, the, yeah. the level of demand that obviously because, as as I said before, often it's work-related, you know, career-related. So many people want to uh, move to Paris and live in Paris. And as a result, it's sort of a, a landlord's market in the sense that they can pay, they can charge more and more money. And there's a lot of competition between tenants 
So um, it, it, you can't just sort of stroll into town and expect to get a fairly decent place to live immediately. Uh, it can take you quite a long time before you find a good apartment because there's so mm. many other tenants out there. And so you're competing with them. So that can be difficult. I mean, Paris, I mean, going back to just basic comparisons between living in Paris and, and living outside the city. Um, I mean, I was talking about why people would come here. Mm. Um, and, you know, I mentioned work and, and schools and universities and things. Also, there's just obviously the, the, the excitement and the, the, the sort of vibrant cultural life here. There are so many, uh, art galleries and exhibitions and theatres and concerts and great restaurants. And it's just like, uh, obviously, it's obviously Paris is famous for its culture. And so that is a mm. very exciting thing. And people, I think, who who have always lived in Paris, who were born here and who've grown up here, for them, it's almost like unfeasible to live anywhere else that they couldn't imagine living outside because they feel like they're just in the middle of nowhere. And there's, I mean... You know, it's a bit like, imagine this, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, if you've ever lived in a city and, you know, you, 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 you're there all the time and, um, you know, you go to sleep uh, with the sound of the city mm. uh, outside your windows, the sounds of cars and people and noise. And then you go to the countryside, maybe on holiday or to visit your parents or something, and you go to bed and you lie in your bedroom and it's so silent Mm. that you can't sleep it's kind of like <laughs> it's so the silence is deafening it's like ah you know really um really loud silence and um <laughs> i think for a lot of parisians they kind of experience this on one hand it's kind of nice and calm to to get out of the city but on the other hand some parisians like my wife for example who's who was born here um going out of the city can be sort of a bit almost traumatic to just be in a place where there's no noise and nothing seems to be right. happening and it's just like ah they 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 can't handle it wow um, but on the other hand life in paris is expensive and it's stressful people are stressed in this city yeah you 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 get that Im that impression yeah that it's sort of bustling well actually when, and when i've talked to people from provincial france who've moved to paris i've heard them complain about like you know just it takes ages to get anywhere. Like it, mm. like life is, you're very dependent on public transport because not so many people have cars and things are far apart. I mean, it's a big city. I mean, here in Besançon, you can very easily walk the whole length of the city. I mean, you know, it's very easy to get around. It's not very big. Um, whereas in Paris, uh, very often, you know, you might be living on one side of Paris, but your work might be on the other. I mean, you know, you can't, you can't always live close to your work and then you're dependent on, um, public transport, uh, the vagaries of, of, of that, that looks, that looks stressful in Paris. So like, you've got all this cool stuff going on, but like, you know, you have to get there. Uh, yeah, it might not, might not necessarily be like just next door kind of thing. The prospect of a, even a 30-minute journey on the metro, especially if you're accompanied by a small child, is kind of sometimes it's just like, oh, I can't. I can't I just do can't. This. I can't do it, especially these days. Um, but it, it, one thing I'm curious to find out is is about just your experiences of living in Besançon and um, maybe some of the things that you find to be 
frustrating. I don't want to dwell on the negatives too much, but but I'm, I'm saying this because I've had guests on this podcast before, like, for example, my, my conversation with Elspeth recently, where we mm. end up sort of um, talking about frustrating experiences that we've had in Paris. And, you know, you mentioned Paul's TV show. A lot of that is about Paul, Paul being angry about French culture. And uh, Stephen Clark's books, which are about a guy struggling, an English guy struggling in, in, in Paris. What things do you find to be sort of tricky in Besançon? Are there things like, for example, <laughs> queuing? Do, do you ever have trouble queuing up at the supermarket? Um, I think it's probably not as bad as it must be in Paris. But it's true that like the queue is a bit of a... A tricky concept I think in France in general so like I remember one time I was doing a class um, at the Centre de Linguistique Appliquée so that's a big language school we have here in Besançon mostly for like the French language but also they teach other languages including English and I was doing like a an intensive thing sometimes they have these summer school things where they do like two-week intensives and so I had asked the students to do like a presentation on the topic of their choice just to help me fill up 25 hours of the week <laughs> that we had and so one of them like she had been she'd lived in Quebec um I think it was in well she'd lived in Canada in any case and so she gave a presentation about like you know Canadian culture and the things that she noticed and like one of the slides with people at a bus stop queuing up and so she was like oh my god look at this slide like the people are queuing for the bus. Um, and it's true that like in France, people are sort of a bit scattered at the bus stop and there's not always an acknowledgement of like who was there first. And I don't know if you've, have you ever been to Japan? Oh yeah. So I lived there for two years. Oh, right. Well, there you go. Well, shows you how much I know. Um, so like when you go to Japan and you want to get on the train, this is really beautiful. Like people will queue by the door. So what they won't do is like what would happen in France is so the train stops or the bus stops or whatever and people are getting off and people will start getting on at the same time. Mm. No, 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 no. Like in a civilized society, like in Japan, <laughs> you actually like you let everybody who needs to get off get off and then you start getting on. So there's none of this jostling, um, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but, oh, so that that happens to you then outside Paris that people, for example, <laughs> will push on to public transport before everyone else has got off. Yeah, definitely. Even though, like I was saying, like in the east of France, we've got maybe a bit more of a reputation, maybe even more in Alsace than here, but like a reputation for sort of being a bit more disciplined, a bit more Germanic, a bit more, you know. Yeah. So it's, we're probably not the worst region, but it's still like a difficult concept for people. Yeah. And when you come from Britain, it's quite annoying to see. And I do, I do spend a lot of time here muttering stuff under my breath. Um, and it's a bit easier now with a mask, I can... <laughs> vocalize insults and nobody what, knows like what what are you muttering under your breath can i ask uh i just i i yeah i think i have a bit of a of an anger problem or something because i do like mutter a lot to myself <laughs> just out and about i don't know just people annoying me um i don't know in the supermarket qa walking down the street is actually the worst one let me just talk about that for a second so like i have a friend she's irish um i guess she's like um, she's a lot older than me. I mean, she could be my mother, but like 
if you saw her in the street from behind, you would think like she was younger than me because like she dresses really young and she looks really cool. And she lived in Paris for a long time. So she moved from Ireland when she was maybe 30. And she lived in Paris for years and years, I don't know, 20 years, 25 years. And then she moved here because she wanted to focus on her painting because she's an artist. And she thought that like here she'd be like living in the countryside and it would be better for her painting. Um, and she knew Besançon because she used to come and teach here at the same school that I mentioned earlier, the Centre de Linguistique Appliquée, doing the summer schools and stuff like this. So, like, she moved here and it turned out to be a big mistake because she really doesn't like um, provincial living or, well, living in Besançon in, in any case. And one of the things, like, that she always comments on when we're walking down the street together is the fact that, like, people, they sort of feel like they're the only ones on the pavement or, like, they're the only people who exist um so like people like maybe won't make an effort to get out of the way but then the way she says it it's as if that never happened in Paris and I'm just like Eve you've got terrible like confirmation bias every time somebody in Besançon does a bad thing it just reconfirms all the things you hate about here but I'm like surely in Paris some people are not considerate on the pavement yeah, of course. I mean, I, I, I there was me thinking that that was just a Parisian thing. And then if I say French, it's, for example, like French people walk down the street differently to English people, <laughs> that I was being like... An awful xenophobe. Unf- <laughs> I, I thought that I was being unfair and that was just Paris, but apparently it happens in other areas too. That is very interesting. And you, you mentioned the idea of confirmation bias. Maybe you're right. Maybe we, whenever we see any sort of behaviour that we consider mm. to be negative, it, it just confirms some kind of inherent bias against France or something. But I mean, I I really hope that I'm not just being really prejudiced against France and that my, my, um, the things I've noticed are actually real because that is one, that is a culture shock experience that you go to another country and you you see people doing things differently and on one hand you can just get very frustrated with how everyone else seems to be getting it wrong for example why don't they walk down the street in a more considerate way why Mm. don't they make space for people on the street and and why do people walk down the pavement as if they own the whole pavement Mm. and so you kind of feel like frustrated with everyone else but on the other hand you sometimes think no maybe it's me it's me i'm just getting frustrated on my own here so it's obviously me that's wrong and sometimes it can kind of make you feel very paranoid and you feel like your frustration is 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 unfair and and um and stuff, uh, you know, you feel like you're wrong in your frustration. It's a very complicated experience. But the fact is, people do things differently in different places. It's a bit of a mystery. Yeah, it is, it is a little bit. I think, yeah, it's because you're always comparing with, like, what you know from home, I guess, is going to be most people's, like, baseline. And I suppose it can go, like, if you're French and you're not used to queuing or, you know, I was going to say considerate behavior, that's not fair. <laughs> Because it's not like French people are not nice and, um, you know, people in Besançon are very nice and, and friendly and they have, you know, they've got their good qualities. It's not like, you know, um, yeah. I find that people are just very curious about why you're living here. And especially, well, I think that's all the more so in provincial France, especially somewhere smaller. People are really curious. They're like, what the hell are you doing here? Like, how did you right. end up here? Um, and maybe in Paris, they're just like, oh, another Anglophone. Who cares? Like, 
Now, what they um, do in my experience in Paris is they 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 hear an they hear an English person speaking, or they hear me speaking English. Like, for example, I'm trying to persuade my daughter to uh, not to run away because I'm queuing up for the toilet in the park, and I'm like, "Don't run over there!" You know, you just stay here while I, you know, and I'm and I'm in a very stressful situation, and then some guy in the queue is like, "Oh, you uh, you speak English?" Uh, and then the, suddenly they start speaking English to me, and I'm like, "Mate, now is not the time." You know, yeah. and then I'm then I'm a rude foreigner because I don't want to chat to him about his, you know, the, the you know, <laughs> um, whatever. So, yeah, yeah. But uh, I went to London once. Oh. Y- yeah, exactly. Or, or just like, I, okay, I thank you for speaking English to me. That's nice that you that you're doing that. But uh, but you know, look, <laughs> look what I'm dealing with here. Okay, just um, you, can you speak English sort of just in your head in your head for a while yeah. and then leave and leave me alone um i think that's worse when you live here because like sometimes they might assume that you're a tourist or something yeah. um i even yeah, get I'm- that here maybe not so much now that i speak french better but um but sometimes i'm like uh why would i be a tourist in business no i mean there are tourists in business but i mean maybe not so many as um in uh in paris and well i'm surprised at that in 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 paris because i'm like well surely there must be so many english speakers around like it's more exciting here, like when you hear someone speaking English, because it is a bit more unusual. And I remember actually the first year I was teaching, like I was teaching in the uni here and I had no idea what I was doing really, because I hadn't taught before and I ended mm. up teaching and stuff. And one of my colleagues was like, sort of given that a lot of our students are from sort of, they were often like the first in the family to go to university and they were um, maybe from somewhere quite rural in the region. And this was their first time in the city, like, he was like, they've maybe never, they've never like seen an English speaker before, really. Yep. Um, so like, it's actually like really motivating for them. And one of my students even told me that, like, it's so motivating for me to be able to speak to you because you're actually an English speaker. And like, it shows me that I can, you know, I can actually do it. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, that's kind of cool. Like, I wouldn't, you know, that made me feel a bit better about what I was doing. Yeah. Made me feel always- special. <laughs> yeah. I mean, where you have to, it's a sort of a double-edged sword or is, that's maybe not the right thing. It's a, um, there's, there's good and bad things about, you know, being a, f- certainly for us as native English speakers living abroad is that on one hand you get this kind of, you suddenly have all this value to people mm. that you are the purveyor of English and you're suddenly an opportunity, a great opportunity for them to, to practice their English. But on, but on the other hand, sometimes you think, can I, can I just, can someone just talk to me for me, not for my English? Yeah. Can you not love me for who I am? Yeah. Why don't they not, love me for me? Yeah. That's not, really worrying, especially like, uh, like romantic relationships. Like, are, you, are they just using me for my English? That's actually never happened to me, but oh, oh, I would been I've always been be a bit time. paranoid about it. I've I've been there many times. I mean, I've I've been teaching for twenty years now, but uh, there were certainly years in my twenties when I was teaching, and you know, you end up sort of sort of romantically involved with people. Not necessarily my students. I um, I'm a professional, but uh, certainly kind of living abroad, you end up in relationships with uh, with people who aren't native English speakers. And yeah, sometimes you realise, oh, I see you. You're just with me just because. It's a chance to practice your English. You realise, and then you think, "Oh, great! This isn't very, this isn't very nice, is it?" Really. Uh, <laughs> like so that does happen used, quite a lot. Like, yeah, you know. I mean, it's weird. Like some guys. I mean, I'm sort of referring to like ja- Japan here a little bit. That there are definitely guys, and it's usually guys 
who you realise that the, the part of the reason they're there is because um, girls will want to go out with them uh, because it's exciting for them to be with a with a with a foreign person, and it's also for their for the for the girls. It's also a great chance to practice their English, and the guys are fine with it. They're like, "This is fine because I get to have sex, and these girls get to learn English." <laughs> and you just think, "Oh God, no thanks." God, that's that is actually we've got we've got a friend who's a bit like that who's been living in Korea and China, and yeah, as a European man, you've got that apparently like exotic factor or i don't know like anyway well, whatever like yeah hey if they're happy <laughs> yeah exactly yeah they're, if they're happy that's fine if everyone's happy great it's just not it's not, it's not my cup of tea i mean um you know I, i'm willing to to drink some of that tea but it's not necessarily the tea i want to have all the time <laughs> uh you know what i mean <laughs> oh god where did how did we end up here yeah on um, this on this on this topic yeah no i've only been chatted up abroad like for my looks and personality as far as i can tell yeah not from yeah. english <laughs> again it's it's not it's not such a it's not a major problem it's kind of a, a good problem to have you know that people yeah. are in people want to talk to you uh but um i mean it's I've a good to, co- sorry go yeah. ahead i was gonna say i've just i've been to like enough parties in paris where i just you know you you just kind of think when are people going to realize that i'm i'm an english speaker and then you get cornered by some guy who in his head you know he's thinking oh this is a great opportunity for me to practice my english and then they're just talking at you and they're they're just like talking at you and it's not a proper conversation it's not like a chance to have a proper meaningful connection with someone instead they're just like going on to you about the english that they learned at school and yada yada and just like i've heard it all before mate like you don't care you don't care about me you're just practicing your english all right fine okay can i have another beer please i was gonna say like the upside of it in some because i used to get really tired of like having to explain where i was from and why i was here (laughs) like as if who are you are you like the uh police of frontière like are you trying to like check my status or whatever um i used, used to really like annoy me i used to get a bit uh, yeah about it but i've sort of realized since then i was like i don't like making small talk for instance like i find it quite hard and actually like being from somewhere else is like a really good conversation starter and it like because then people yes. are usually naturally curious and they'll have questions like unless they do the annoying thing of wanting to speak to you in english which I don't, I don't necessarily mind. It depends, but yeah, usually like, um, so for me, it's kind of good. I'm kind of like trying to like embrace it. Cause, um, I figure, yeah, it's a good, it's a good small talk topic and a good icebreaker in a way. Yeah. Did you know I'm English? Well, British. Well, I'm actually Scottish. Well, I'm going to have to explain all that in the, in the conversation that will follow. Cause you'll probably have questions. Um, <laughs> Actually, being yeah. Scottish is good because people want to tell you about their holidays in Scotland and like, um, yeah, I met some guy at yoga and he's like, oh, I love Scotland. I've been to Harris and Lewis and like all these Scottish islands. And I'm like, I've never been there, mate. Like, you know more about Scotland than me at this point. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it, it's, um, yeah, it must be. It must be a little different being from Scotland because when people find out I'm English, then, you know, I don't know. There are certain things about English culture that I'm not that proud of. I don't know. It's all very complicated. The whole England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, Britain, UK. What's the difference? No one knows. Um, And 
I don't know, it's all a little bit fraught. But uh, yeah, it must be nice when people... I don't know. Is it? Is it? Do you think it's easier to to talk about being from Scotland than it is to talk about being from England? This is a matter of opinion, isn't it? I, I oh, guess dear. it is. I'm just like people are more likely to, to have gone on their holidays to Scotland because there's been a lot of like I don't know why I get the impression in recent years there's been a lot of like programs on French TV, like documentary programs or travel programs, like about Scotland, and like everybody wants to go there now. Um, well, it's a beautiful place. Hmm. It is. And I, I I don't know, I think maybe um, England, like English uh, tourist resorts, like, for example, the Lake District, are incredibly crowded these days. Um, mm. And there's, there's places like Cornwall, Devon and Dorset, they're also super crowded. Like, you know, just a town like St. Ives on the Cornish coast is a mm. beautiful place with a great beach. But you cannot find a parking space there. It's extremely difficult to get there. Um, mm. Whereas I, I don't know. I feel like Scotland maybe has got more wilderness areas in it, and so it's more definitely, open to be. Yeah, definitely pretty empty. Yeah, some parts of it. Bit more space, bit more space, and less crowded, less full of full of people. So it's it's probably a great resource um, in terms of Scottish the Scottish tourist industry that they probably have been doing a great job of advertising it to uh, French tourists and stuff like that, because it's like, we've got all this space. Look at these beautiful <coughs> mountains and, and valleys and things. Um, so, uh, but anyway, I don't want to, I don't want to sort of grumble about the experience of being um, a, a British person living abroad, because obviously we have chosen to be here. And mm. despite the, the, the things that can be frustrating overall, we, we love it and, and stuff like that. Um, oh Yeah. Um, uh, tell me about your French. Um, you've, you've been living in France since you were what, 22. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, I, I'm, you have told us about this before, but just maybe recap. Did you speak any French when you moved here? Yeah, I did. Cause I studied at, at university and I had kind of decided after I finished my studies, that I wanted to come to France and really like you know, continue improving my French and, and also live here because I thought it would be cool to live here because um, I had spent some time in France like during my summers at uni and I was like, okay, this could be really cool to come and like. See, that's interesting because like that was like shorter periods of time and I was very enamored with France and I was really excited about like coming and living here and kind of speaking French every day. I just thought that was so cool. I think that's what often happens on a sort of shorter trip. You don't see the downsides, right? You mm. only see like positive things. And I, like, I really didn't want to live in the UK anymore. So I suppose it's like, uh, you're just excited to be somewhere different and you're fed up with your life um, at home. So you're like, you're really um, focused on the positive things. So we talked about like negative confirmation bias before, but I think there's periods where it was very positive for me. But apparently, I think that is what happens often when people like move abroad, like they have the honeymoon period and then like the reality sets in. Um, and then, uh, yeah, then there's a tough period and then you come out on the other side, like a bit more realistic, you know, about your expectations and about what the country is really like. Um, so, yeah, so I that meant actually, though, that I did speak French already. So, like, I think I could pretty much like say what I wanted to say just it wasn't very like idiomatic um uh maybe a bit like bookish or whatever because I had studied it at university so yeah I wanted to just learn to sound like a normal French person if you like 
Well, now I sound like someone from here because I use expressions that they only use here. And I've had people say to me before, oh, you sound like you got a bit of the accent from here or just like, oh, really? just like this. Yeah. People who are so, not from here. And I was like, mm, really? Mm. Ah, so wait, when you when you speak to locals, then um, do they what's their instant reaction? Do they often go, oh, you have an accent? Do you have a bit of an accent? Because that's what often happens when you speak Yeah, I think they people. usually work it out. Um, but it, is, it the fir- it, wait, is it the first thing, though? Because um, uh, often for me, it's, it's just blatantly obvious from the very moment, even with the very moment I walk into the shop sometimes, <laughs> I just feel like I, I don't know what kind of English vibes I'm giving off, but I probably just you know i mean i i i'm not emily in paris on netflix okay i do say bonjour or bonsoir when i go into places you know i I know the basics um but uh i think i must be giving off some like really english vibes maybe maybe i don't know maybe it's the beatles t-shirt i'm wearing or something i don't know um, maybe it's the fact you're wearing a bowler hat an umbrella um, waving an english flag and i've got a jack t-shirt and you're got a bulldog on a leash a british bulldog (laughs) an english yeah english football shirt on or something no but i don't know Often, often like the first thing that people notice is like, oh, uh, you, you know, you're, you're English. Like um, even even the other day, right? I was at the um, cash point at right. the bank to, to get some money out because I um, was buying a a, a used uh, jacket for my daughter. You know, like uh, we'd, we'd got this thing on, on Facebook Marketplace or whatever it is. And oh, yeah. so I, I, I walked down the road to an apartment just sort of, you know, just at the end of the road and um, uh, to buy this coat. And then I realized I didn't I needed money. So I had to go over the road to get the money out. Um, mm. And as I was getting my cash out, of course, there are a couple of like homeless guys sitting next to the cash point because this is uh-huh. Paris. Uh, it's 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 very common that you find where a place where you get money out there'll be a couple of homeless guys posted there sitting there like whatever drinking their beer or whatever and mm. um and so um one of them started talking to me and um uh I, we had a little exchange and you know just within the first uh, after i'd said my first thing which i don't know what it was that we said i think he said oh it's this machine's not working and i was like oh merci you know and he said, oh, uh, are you English? Right. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah. And then he was kind, you know, he said to me, oh, but you, you know, your, your French is very good. And I was like, yeah, that's not really true, but thanks anyway. <laughs> um, um, but um, I mean, you know, just like anyone I come across, it's normally that. I mean, you know, I suppose for them, it's interesting that to, to meet a, uh, someone who's not French and they, and when they notice it, it's the first thing they say. I, yeah. I think it's also true for anyone living in, in the UK as well. I've heard this as well, that, you know, friends of mine living in London who um, were not English, uh, English mm. people would be like, oh, where are you from? Which is always the, an, an annoying question, I think. It is an annoying where question. Are you, yeah. oh, where are you from? Um, you know, but where are you from originally and, and things like mm. that. Um, but so does that happen to you then when you when you you know chat to people do they is this something that they feel compelled to say uh, like, oh, yeah, where are you does, from it yeah. does quite often happen um you know what actually i find stranger is when somebody never brings it up oh i'm kind of like are they just so blasé do they just not give a shit that i'm <laughs> not french do they just like oh. they're just like I see people from all over all the time. I don't care. 
uh but wait okay that, so for me for me it's like a little bit annoying when they when they feel that they have to say they have to mention that they it know annoys me French. too it annoys but, me too. but but for you you're like no i want you to acknowledge my uniqueness please well sometimes i'm kind of like yeah i'm kind of like okay that's odd that it didn't they didn't they didn't bring it up because some and some people can be quite annoying with it like once they know you they sort of make jokes about it or something or they ask you about Brexit. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, or, yeah, that's really exhausting. Um, Brexit, yeah, <sighs> yeah. Normally, I have to, I have to get in there first with Brexit and say, oh yeah, it's terrible. I, you know, don't ask me. Just don't get me started. And yeah, like don't that. get me started. Well, there's not, there's not much to say, is there really? But like, I'm trying to think because, like, well, twenty. This year's been a bit weird. I haven't really met anyone new. I would say <laughs> this year. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm trying to think if people brought it up. Earlier in the year, I went to like a workshop to learn how to make um, Tawashi sponges. It's like a thing where you like weave old socks to make sponges. I know that sounds insane, but like I like doing things like that. <laughs> that was like a one-off where people, somebody could have brought it up. I'm not sure if they did, but we were mostly like weaving sponges. Um, yeah, because they're, they're too busy weaving. Too busy sponges. weaving sponges to like notice that I'm. Oh, they probably did get brought up. And then I went to another workshop to learn how to like, it was about like herbal medicine and like, could it have been, I have no idea. I just, I don't remember. I don't remember now because this was like in the beginning of the year. And then since then I haven't really, you know, haven't really had so many opportunities to talk to new people. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, again, I'll repeat myself. I don't I want, I don't want the listeners to, to, f- feel that we're just complaining about uh, i know it does sound like we're really moaning a lot about like yeah but just think twice the next time you meet an anglophone (laughs) in the street i don't know i don't know i think it's just a lot of these things okay a lot of stuff that uh, uh people find frustrating when they live in another country a lot of it is just basic human nature and it's stuff yeah. that people it's not really it's you know it's just it's just people being people like of course if you are from a town if i was from if i was living in a town in in sort of uh Eng- if i was living in i don't know like a some town outside norwich or something um <laughs> right um, if I was living in Cromer or something and I met uh, a person who in, in a shop who if I was working in a shop and I met someone and they were talking to me for a bit and and they had a, a, a different accent from another country I would I would probably say oh where are you from you know I'd want to know yeah. because I'd find it interesting and unusual so I don't know I think we can't really blame these things it's just for us it's something that happens every single time and so uh, yeah, it's when pretty, it's repeated it's again frequent. and again but yeah, just wait yeah. until somebody doesn't bring it up, then you'll be even more like, well, it just happened. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, I mm. want to tell my story about uh, being English again. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you get, you get disappointed when they don't ask. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? We, we can't, we can never be satisfied humans. Yeah, we got, we just, we're just difficult. You may as well just ask anyway. It's fine. We actually secretly love talking about it. I guess so. Um, I don't know. I don't know. So like, yeah. Uh, no, it's a good, like I say, it's a good, it's a good party piece it's a good uh, icebreaker conversation opener like I say for me I don't really like making small talk I actually find actually that's something else about the French I find that it's hard now maybe this is different in provincial France so I find that here everything is very very family oriented mm-hmm. to the extent that like like I remember someone saying to me once you know so in French that's like I live in a, a flat share or a house share yeah. And I was like, oh, who do you live with? Yeah, but it's like, it's with my cousin. 
or my cousins. And I'm like, look, right? In the UK, random strangers who don't like each other have to share flats and houses, all right? They're not cousins. They are random people off the street, right? And here it's like, oh, yeah, but my uncle is the landlord kind of thing. Like, it's yeah. that seems really – that's really different. I mean, I come from a big family, and I have a lot of cousins. So, I mean, it could be possible – that I could end up living with one of my cousins or something, or it could, it could have been possible if we had lived in the same uh, city or something, but like that would be unusual in the UK. Whereas in here, it's like, it's like perfectly um, normal. And I find that like, I find that that makes it hard to make friends because people hang out with their family. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, one thing that people maybe don't realize is that, yeah, in the UK, uh, uh, um, a very normal, um way of doing things is that you will uh do your a levels you know when you're about 17 or 18 and mm. then if you get into university you will just leave home move to a, to a completely different city different part of the country and you will just suddenly end up living with a bunch of other students who you've never met before and you spend you know 3 or 4 years just living with other people and it's it's a it's it's i don't know if like other if people are doing that in other countries in France, I find that, yeah, when people do go to university, they'll often go to university in the town where they live. Mm, and yeah. so they'll, they'll be like a lot of the students that I used to teach at university here, they were living at home and going to university every day and then just going home at the end of the day, uh, which mm. was kind of odd for me. Like at the, the student experience in the UK is that you, you go to your university classes and then when you go home, you're going home to either a student, a completely mad, insane student residence where everyone's completely drunk all the time. And there's like just Like Animal parties. House. Yeah. It's like, yeah, Animal House, the movie and uh, these kind of crazy <laughs> parties and stuff because, you know, uh, everyone's living away from their parents. Or they go and live in some shared house, which is a similar situation. And so the kind of English university experience, or maybe the British university experience, is um, is quite crazy in terms of the lifestyle, that you're balancing mm. your studies with trying not to party too much. Um, and But I don't think it's like that everywhere else. Well, like, yeah, like if we take my boyfriend as an example. So like, well, I think in France, like most people go to the university of their region, right? Um, mm -hmm. you can apply outside your region, but it's like, I think it's just simpler to stay, uh, in your region, but that could mean that you are moving. Cause I mean, region, France is big, right. And yeah. the regions are big and you know, here we're quite rural, you know, so you probably, you might actually, and you might end up having to move to Besançon and you could be one hour, two hours from, um, where you came from originally. But yeah, like he, um, lived with his parents all through university and then he wouldn't have left home until he was maybe 24. Um, and even the first year he was working, he was living like with his parents. Um, and they don't even, they don't even get on that well. <laughs> like it's just like the French way. And then, yeah, then he moved uh, because he had to move for his job. So he spent three years in a, a different town, uh, not actually too far from Paris. And, uh, yeah, and then he lived there, and then he moved back here. And when he moved back, he moved into his own apartment because he wasn't going to like move back in with his parents at like age thirty or something. Um, but yeah, that's pretty common, and I hear that from friends. Like, it seems to be common in a lot of continental Europe. I mean, I can't comment on every country, but you often hear like people are twenty five and they still live at home. 
and they're even still doing their studies like in the UK you're usually done by like when you're 21 22 and you know in other countries it seems to go on like forever and you know you're living at home for <laughs> seemingly forever there, um, there is there is that you know that film character Tongi in France yeah. he's a uh, a character in a French film I can't remember the name of the film but basically it's kind of something that everyone knows it's like a cultural reference point that everyone knows in France that it's a a comedy about um Basically, the, the the film starts. I haven't even seen the film. It's just my wife has told me all about it. Um, the film starts with um, uh, a mother and her child. The child is newborn, and mm. she's like, you know, in this love bubble with her with her baby. And the, you know, the the dad, the mum and dad are just totally in love with their baby. And the mother whispers to to the baby, you know, uh, I'm, you know what is it you know you're always going to be with me forever and ever and i'm always going to love you and you're always going to be with us forever which is the sort of thing that you know new parents say to their to their babies and then cut to like uh the future maybe 20 25 years into the future and the child has become a a grown uh adult and the parents are so fed up because he will never leave home he just they can't get rid of him and uh it, 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 I think it's a funny film basically about that situation of how just like the kids these days are just like never leave home and after a while it's just like a, a real burden for the parents to have these kids constantly they're like just fuck off yeah, leave us alone leave, let us live our leave lives leave already yeah oh gosh yeah. Isn't, isn't the movie just I've never seen it but I've, ha- I've heard like I've had the reference explained to me because it's important to know um, yeah. isn't, isn't it just called Tongi like the film Maybe it is Tongi, yeah. Which uh, Tongi is one of those names, by the way, that um, I always found kind of funny. Oh, it's I such mean, a French name. It's such a French name. It's it's a nice name, but uh, it's it's not a name that we have in England. And when I was, you know, teaching at university, I had ten classes of about twenty five students in each class. So that's like two hundred and fifty students each year. So that's a lot of quite typical French names and Tongi was one of those names that would come up in my registers quite a lot and I spent quite a lot of time going through the names the list of names in the registers you know doing their marking and stuff and so Tongi for me in my head was Tan Guy (laughs) because it is like it's spelled T-A-N-G-U-Y Tan Guy and I can't I could never get over that but it's basically your name is written Tan Guy and um but they were never really that tanned. Anyway, it was just a weird window into my brain there, my tan guy. But no, Tongi, Tongi. Yeah, is it? Oh, Kara, Kara, mm. we should probably wrap this up in some I know, way. we could go on for days, but I think that would be very boring for... It would be very self-indulgent and boring for us to just keep banging on like this. But um, I feel like we should probably conclude in some way how can uh, we conc- I, I've got an idea right mm. so we've been talking about cultural differences we've been sharing our personal experiences mm. of living in Paris um, in, in in my case and in a, a more provincial area of France in your case and we've also been talking about being um, uh, we've been talking about living away from our home country and living in another country and the sort of the experiences that we have there both good and, and frustrating um, mm. One thing I I reckon is a good way to wrap this up is that when you do live abroad or when you do live in another culture, 
and you notice differences which you find strange or difficult to understand or maybe frustrating, it's always worth remembering that um, it's just it, it's not weird. It's just different. Mm. Uh, and and that that comes from a TED talk, which is quite good. I can't remember the the the, the TED talk is called "Weird or Just Different," and it's mm. it's basically all about that. That basically people live in different ways. There are probably reasons, like per- perfectly decent reasons, why people live differently, and there'll there'll be you know historical, psychological, cultural, ge- maybe geographical reasons mm. that cause people to behave in different ways, and we just have to sort of be a bit zen about it and just kind of accept it, and always remember it's not weird, it's not strange, it's not wrong, it's just different, and and that's that. Wow, that's a great way to look at it. No, I think once you get over the initial shock of some things and you know what to expect, like, and you, you just kind of roll with it, then you'll be fine because you're like, oh, this is just how they do things. Um, and there's no point in getting frustrated or upset about it. Like, Yeah, you can't, you can't like change. It's, it's hard for you to change yourself, first of mm-hmm. all. You, if you get wrapped up in that, I'm doing it all wrong, then you've got to just think, it's all right. It's just different. You can't necessarily beat yourself up about, you know, whether you are, are right or wrong in that context. And also, similarly, you can't expect to somehow change the, the customs and habits of an entire nation <laughs> of people. You know, it's like, there's no point really getting frustrated about it. Like I do, I do get frustrated when I see the way that people behave on the metro and, and you know, coming from my experience of living in Japan where people um, get out of each other's way and they, they, they make an effort not to use up too much space. People are very considerate and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, and then I come to Paris where people were bumping into each other and as you say they're not they don't seem to be fully aware that there's lots of other people around them and and that sort of thing and I do get frustrated by that I do kind of think oh I wish that they would let people off the train before they get on but then it's really bad for me it's just bad for my blood pressure it's just <clears throat> bad for my state of mind and the best way is just to be like it's okay it's just just a just different way of doing things. I, I recommend muttering things under your breath, either in French <laughs> or English, prefer- like, oh. preferably in English with obscure swear words. I do mutter things under my breath, actually, quite a lot. In fact, not just under my breath. Sometimes I'm actually, uh, I'll actually walk down, the, I'll walk down the street swearing quite loudly occasionally. Um, the, I mean, when I'm driving in Paris, that is the worst. Um uh-huh. And like uh, just driving through the streets of Paris, uh, it's so difficult, especially when you're trying to find a parking space. And in those moments, I will I will swear quite loudly within the confines of the car. I'm yeah. not like I'm not rolling the window down and like shouting at people directly. I'll just generally sort of let off steam by swearing. I think swearing is actually a very healthy thing to do. Actually, yeah. if you, if you don't do it at someone, if you're just mm. doing it, it's actually a good way of of releasing tension. But uh, <laughs> anyway, it's not weird. It's not wrong. It's just different. Just, Everything's just okay. Different. Yeah. Um, ah, I feel then after all that. Yeah. Well, uh, I I certainly hope that the listeners. Um, well, maybe maybe people can relate. I'm sure that lots of people listening to this have similar experiences of living somewhere else or experiencing a difference in lifestyle or culture and and the reactions that they have, the, the sort of different reactions. I wonder if we've got listeners to this who are in the UK or maybe in Australia or something or certainly a sort of English-speaking country. I wonder if I've got any listeners, certainly living in the UK, who could kind of 
share similar experiences yeah that would be amazing or ask your questions like why do british people do this it'd be really interesting for us to see like like what is it that you still don't get or that really shocked you yeah Um, send in your questions into the comments section if you are living in the uk or if you've had experience of that like and you just think why do people do x y and z why do they have two taps in the bathroom oh that see that is something that is really good in france the taps none of this boiling hot water coming out of one and absolutely ice cold water coming out of the other (laughs) and no carpets in the bathroom because they know how to furnish a bathroom correctly without yeah, a carpet. Do. Growing up, they we do. had a carpet in the bathroom. Like, what? Why? It's a well, bathroom. I guess in the winter months in uh, Scotland, um, <laughs> when you know you need to go to the toilet in the middle of the night, you don't want to stand on a cold floor because you know it's gonna your feet are gonna feet are gonna freeze, and then within a within like by the time you hit forty, you'll have bunions on your feet. <laughs> from from the the trouble cause so from that's the- why there's carpet everywhere because it's just if if not your feet will freeze <laughs> that's what actually but around the toilet there were tiles luke if i remember well the toilet area was tiled and the rest of the bathroom was carpeted um yeah, but it's not it's, is- it's not unpleasant when you get out of the bath i must admit that is an issue. That is an issue in a bathroom, in a toilet. Yes, yeah, certainly the area immediately around the toilet. You think that you don't want that to be carpeted. And, oh and that, uh, no, not at all. <laughs> the world's and, most awful carpet. Um, I, I, I want the listeners to, to, I don't want any listeners to think, oh my God, all British people have got d- dirty carpets around their toilets. No, there are, there are solutions to that problem. Um, uh, uh, various, various solutions to, to having a, uh, carpet in the uh, in the toilet but anyway we we must stop because we could go on forever <laughs> i will also send you a link actually earlier in the year i interviewed um, a friend and colleague who lives in the u.s and she's spanish and she talked about some of the differences and the culture shocks it's very interesting to listen to so I will, that would be interesting where, where can you, we list where can we listen to that it's on my youtube um and i will but i will send you the link um, just tell us what your youtube is it is. Well, I guess if you just look for Leo Listening on YouTube, you will find it. And then, um, oh, the interview is called, it's basically like a Spanish expat in the US kind of thing. This You'll find l- it on the channel. Leo um, Listening on YouTube, L-E-O, and then yeah, listening. And then the word YouTube. listening, and you'll find and, it. Yeah. And it was, sorry, a Spanish what? I think a Spanish, I think I've called it a Spanish expat's experience of living in the US. Some Spanish. Like something pretty, pretty obvious, you know. Yeah. Okay, you've got lots of uh, you've got lots of videos here on on your channel. Um, lots of uh, little bits of advice about different things. You've got conversations <laughs> conversations with people. You've got speaking tips, stuff like yeah, that. All sorts. Very interesting. Very interesting. Okay. Oh, you spoke. You spoke to. You spoke to. You've spoken to various people. That's good. That's great. <laughs> I have. Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, nice to talk to you again. And yeah, uh, thank you. take take care. Have fun filling in your um, your forms when you leave the house. To I go will. To I'm going to do that now to go for a walk. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Lovely. Uh, speak to you again soon. And uh, take care. All right. Thanks so much, Luke. You too. See you. Bye bye then. Bye. bye. So that was Cara Leopold from leolistening.com. That's L-E-O-listening.com. Thanks again to Cara. 
I'm very curious to read your comments and responses to this conversation in the light of the things I said in the introduction. I would like to say again, if you have any questions about behaviour, customs or culture in the UK which you don't understand or find frustrating, please write them in the comments section. I would be glad to try to answer your questions both in the comments section and potentially in a whole podcast episode. It could be interesting to do a podcast episode where I try and explain my country. So if you've got any complaints, questions, things you don't understand about life in the UK, let me know. Um, I'll try and answer them. Actually, having said that, I have done episodes about culture shock in the UK before, because I think, to be honest, I've probably heard all the comments, complaints, grumbles, gripes, questions and criticisms before. And so I have dealt with a lot of that stuff in previous episodes. But nevertheless, I'm very curious to see if I have any listeners who've experienced British culture shock. Ask me your questions. I'll try my best to explain my country and my culture. This is my job, isn't it, to an extent? So please go ahead. By the way, the specific episodes I did in the past about culture shock in England are episodes 192 and 193. Check the episode archive for those two. They were called Culture Shock London. And they mainly focused on life in the capital city, actually. But a lot of the things I said apply to the whole country. And to give you an idea of the things I talked about in those episodes, just in case, you know, you've you've got questions that maybe I've already answered, here is a little list. And this is a list of some of the most common questions and complaints that I've heard from foreign visitors in my country. So here here we go with the list. So starting with my personal favourite, and I kind of mean that sarcastically, um, Right, so why do you have two separate taps in the bathroom rather than one single mixer tap? This question has haunted me for years, actually. Uh, Why don't you have electrical sockets in the bathroom? I want to dry my hair with my hairdryer or use my hair straighteners, but there's no plug in the bathroom. How do British people manage this? How do you live like this? Why is your food so plain and unhealthy? Why is your weather quite miserable? Why do you drive on the left? It's like you do everything differently here. Your trains are often late, delayed, overcrowded and too expensive. Why is this? Why are there so many foreigners in London? I haven't met a real English person yet. Hmm. Why are the houses and flats in London so old and drafty with windows that don't keep out the cold and yet the rent is so expensive? Why don't people talk to each other on the underground? It's like everyone's ashamed or something. And it's really hard to make friends with people here. English people are so reserved, it's like they're impossible to make friends with. Why don't people carry umbrellas all the time, even when it's raining? The internet is too slow here. You just don't make any effort to speak other languages here, do you? It's just English and that's it. Also, people don't make any effort to help me when I'm trying my best to talk to them in their language. Why, oh why, do the pubs close at 11pm? I'm just getting ready to go out at 11pm. Also, why do you eat dinner so early here? Why do English people go to the pub after work and just drink and drink and drink, standing up without eating? It's not very civilised. Cigarettes are ridiculously expensive here. When English people do the washing up, when they wash the dishes in the kitchen, they use too much soap and then they don't rinse off the soap when, they, when they've finished. 
That's like leaving chemicals all over your plates. Why do you have carpet everywhere, even in the toilet sometimes? That seems unhygienic. Why don't you take off your shoes when you enter a house? That's like bringing the dirt from the street into your home. The British have a weird sense of humour. What is this? British humour? So if those are some of the complaints or questions in your head, then you might want to listen to episodes 192 and 193 to hear my full responses. But also feel free to write new questions or indeed any responses you have in the comments section. That's pretty much it for this episode. Just some reminders. So first of all, I'd just like to remind you that I um, this week I uploaded uh, a 28-minute video of me doing stand-up comedy in London at the Comedy Store. So if you want to see me doing stand-up on stage in front of a live audience, you can, but you need to be a premium subscriber to do it. So go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info to watch the video and hopefully enjoy it. At least maybe you you're, you will be able to kind of satisfy your curiosity if you've been wondering about my stand-up um, for some time. Uh, New premium content is coming soon as well. I keep saying this, but I just want to reassure you, if you want to unlock all the premium episodes and also help me pay the rent, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info. Also download the Luke's English podcast app to get the entire episode archive on your phone, including loads of bonus content and access to Luke's English podcast premium episodes. Just search for Luke's English podcast app in the App Store. You can do that right away now and it's completely free. If you're listening to this on YouTube, then don't forget to like and subscribe and leave a comment. It helps the algorithm to promote my episodes. Also, if I reach 100,000 subscribers, YouTube will send me a nice glass thing, uh, which would be lovely, wouldn't it? Everyone wants to have nice glass things. Um, I'm currently on about 76, maybe 77,000 subscribers now. So do subscribe to the channel. That would uh, help. Um, Follow me on Twitter at English Podcast and like the page on Facebook as well. Tell your friends about Luke's English Podcast and also be excellent to each other. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay positive and keep working on your English. Thanks again to Cara Leopold. You can find her on YouTube as well. Leo listening on YouTube. Um, I will speak to you again on the podcast soon. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project 
possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.